Be forewarned, listeners. This week's episode of Sourcecast is going deep down the nerd rabbit hole. It's been a few weeks since I've done a podcast, so I have a bit of built-up nerdery that must be discussed. If you have been reading the blogs, you will have noticed that I have been paying attention to the recent news that Google's Diane Green is stepping down from her role as cloud CEO and is being replaced by Thomas Kurian. For everyday listeners, this is probably not news that someone would normally notice or care about, but frankly, this change, it could have major ramifications for Google and the entire cloud industry as a whole. So this week, we're talking about Diane Green stepping down. I'm Joey Lombardi, and this is SourceCast episode 136. I know that Diane Green is not a household name, so let's begin this episode with understanding who she is and why she is an important player in the cloud space. A lot of this information is from a Forbes article, Five Ways Diane Green Transformed Google Cloud Business. Diane Green took over Google's cloud business in 2016. Prior to her arrival, the company had some enterprise business. They had Spotify, Snapchat, and Khan Academy as clients. This was solid business, but it was not classified or considered enterprise. It certainly was not competing with Amazon. So in 2016, Google was looking to shake things up, and they started looking at Diane Green. And she was a founder and CEO of VMware from 1998 to 2008. After she left VMware, she started her own company called Bebop. And around that time, she also became a member of Google's board. So in 2016, Google brought her into the cloud CEO position and also purchased their company, again called Bebop, for $380 million. So that sets the table of why Google brought her in. When she took over the reins as the cloud CEO, she very quickly started bringing in enterprise clients like 20th Century Fox, Colgate, Disney, eBay, Home Depot, The New York Times, and Target and Verizon. They've both made cloud contracts with Google. During her two-year tenure, she also brought in Twitter, which moved from a large-scale Hadoop cluster to the GCP, Google Cloud Platform, and they migrated a total of 300 petabytes of information. Also during her two years, Google acquired Apigee, API.ai, Quickie Labs, Kaggle, Bidium, Velocistrata, and Cask. Google spent $625 million on Apigee, which focused on API-driven activities, and it also focuses on multi-cloud management and edge computing. API.ai was also a very good acquisition for Google because it helped the company accelerate the launch of Google Assistant and home automation products based on Google Home. Under her direction, the company also worked to partner with several services and technologies, specifically to support HANA. Google is SAP HANA certified, and it has tight integrations with the G Suite. Due to all this hard work, Google finally cracked into the Gartner Magic Quadrant Leaders category for infrastructure as a service. Only Amazon, Microsoft, and now Google were in that quadrant. But even with all of that success, Google is so far behind Amazon and Microsoft when it comes to profit. According to a Wall Street Journal article, Google's cloud computing boss Diane Green to step down, written by Douglas McMillan and Jay Green, and I quote, Google remains a relatively tiny player in a market dominated by Amazon, which generated 52% of revenue in the global cloud software market in 2017, according to Gartner. 
Microsoft outpaced other players, increasing its share to 13.3% last year from 8.7% the previous year, and Google nudged its share up to 3.3% from 2.7% in 2016. So for all of that hard work, they only jumped less than 1% in market share. And as you can imagine, this is the point of stress for Diane Green, for Google, but it manifested itself in an area you may not make a connection on. Again, if you've been reading my blog, or if you've been paying attention to news about Google over the last three months, or actually, frankly, the last year, there has been a lot of news about Google employees being displeased with the direction of the company and how they are choosing to conduct their business. Earlier in the year, Google employees were very displeased with the news that the company was looking to solicit business from the U.S. government. In fact, the company was working with the government and had an active contract that they were looking to expand, and that was directly under Diane Greene's direction. This government work, dubbed Project Maven, was to leverage drone and cloud information to assist soldiers in intelligence gathering. Google employees, because there was a direct military application, protested the project to the point that the company ultimately backed off and chose not to renew their contract with the U.S. government. According to an article from CNBC, titled Google's Cloud Business Under Green Was Plagued by Internal Clashes, Missed Acquisitions, Insiders Say, written by Jordan Novit and Jillian D'Onofro. And I quote, two former employees described a recent disagreement between Diane Green and Google CEO Sudar Puchai over a controversial contract with the Department of Defense, dubbed Project Maven. After employees and outsiders called on Google to cancel the contract, Puchai wanted to listen to the protesters, but Green initially resisted these calls as the project was both lucrative and an important on-ramp to future government work, regardless of its effect on Google's reputation or employee morale. Eventually, Green and the Google CEO developed a code of conduct that Google would follow for future projects with certain business customers and the government. And apparently, Green was all on board to develop and follow those rules. But while that was occurring, Green was making efforts to develop business partnerships that would increase the brand and increase the customer base. But Google's operating model did not support that very well. Here's a quote from the same article. Two former Google employees said that Green was in a tenuous spot because among Alphabet's top brass, there's little understanding for what it's like to sell to large businesses. Another ex-employee said that one of the reasons they left was because of Google's disconnect with customers. So from Green's perspective, she's trying to grow the business. There are opportunities to do so with the government, but employees are pushing back on those opportunities and in fact, jeopardized existing contracts. Because Google employees revolted against Diane Greene's decision to supply the U.S. military with artificial intelligence tools to aid in analyzing drone imagery, they lost out on major profits. And they also lost out on the ability to get better footing for Project Jedi, which we covered a couple of months ago on SourceCast. That was a $10 billion contract that Google effectively took themselves out of the running for. It's sad because Google probably has one of the most sophisticated, artificially intelligent data warehouse, or if you want to call it a data center, on the planet. We've talked about that before on the blogs and on the podcast. Diane Green invested and focused a lot on artificial intelligence, and those investments gave Google advantages over their competitors. But those are things that we're not seeing when it comes to the decision-making process over cloud providers. So here's a situation where someone is trying to make services more attractive for customers, and attract more business to help offset the cost of these acquisitions and investments. And it's been said that Diane Green was only anticipating working at this role for two years. She was in her third year when she decided to step down. 
It should also be noted that Diane Green will continue to serve on Google's board. But now that she's stepped down, enter Thomas Curian. Curian was making headlines a few months ago because he took a temporary leave at Oracle. Rumor has it that Curian clashed with Oracle founder Larry Ellison. According to the Economic Times, Oracle announced on September 5th, 2018, that Curian was taking a leave of absence from Oracle, for which he had worked for 22 years. Curian and Ellison reportedly had a falling out over the direction of its cloud business. Curian wanted Oracle to make more of its software available to run on public clouds from rivals Amazon and Microsoft. Ellison, however, was opposed to this, and growing differences between the two reportedly led to Curian breaking away. If the rumors are true, Google is a very attractive place for Curian. The company is certainly embracing other technologies and supporting those technologies on its platform. Unlike Amazon, which is developing its own database software to compete with Oracle, Google seems to be more welcoming of multiple platforms and multiple technologies sitting on its infrastructure. I have to say that I agree with Curian's approach to Oracle because Oracle is very far behind in the cloud space, regardless of what Larry Ellison says in the press. And I do think that the company is going to continue to struggle in the cloud space if they choose to continue to invest in it, unless they make a major acquisition, like a major acquisition. So Curian now is in a position where he's the new cloud CEO of Google. Thanks to these Diane Green headlines, it's very apparent that the Google services have been underperforming. They need to gain market share. So this dude has to make a big splash. And honestly, when a major player comes on board within the first six months is when they have their most power to do these sort of things. People are expecting changes. So what's he going to do? There's rumbling that Google, under Curian's direction, may go after Red Hat. And you may be saying to yourself, well, didn't IBM announce that they were purchasing Red Hat? Yes, they did. But the deal's not done yet. So can Google go in and outbid IBM? I have to say, Red Hat makes a whole hell of a lot more sense at Google, based on what we just discussed, than at IBM. Google desperately needs a sophisticated and robust sales force, which Red Hat has. They would also be able to bolster their own internal cloud services with a Red Hat-powered infrastructure. There's power in that branding. As discussed in Sourcecast episode 133, IBM has about $15 billion in cash to spend on this acquisition. They're going to have to borrow the rest. Meanwhile, Google has about $86 billion in cash available, according to CNN Money. So in theory, the company could exceed or match the offer made by IBM, which was around $33 billion, and not have to go into debt to do so. On paper, that is a more attractive deal, I suspect, to the stock market. Will this happen? Who knows? Even if Google doesn't make a play for Red Hat, it's pretty clear that they're going to have to go after somebody big. Even though Diane Green did make several acquisitions, one of the criticisms against her is that she did not make enough and she didn't go after major players. According to an Investors.com article, and I quote, the Google Cloud unit should mull acquisitions of companies such as Workday, ServiceNow, Atlassian, and Salesforce.com. Wow, Salesforce, really? There's another one that would add an incredible sales team to Google, which is something that they are severely lacking. Here's a side note for any executive or major sales guy for a large corporation that may or may not be listening to this podcast, and likely not. But if you happen to be listening, allow me to offer you a Christmas present at the end of the year. Do not underestimate the effectiveness of a good sales team. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen someone who does not know how to read a room absolutely butcher any attempt that a company has to make a sale. The technology might be awesome. 
it may be exactly what the customer needs, but you will get some sales rep who has no idea how to sell the product or doesn't know how to read a room or answer a question properly and will completely butcher the deal. You see companies like IBM that are pushing out older employees in favor of quote unquote millennials. And again, I think I'm on the bubble of being a millennial. You see some of these people with the personality of burnt toast walk into a room and get nothing done. Do not send these people into the boardrooms. This is a new world. This is not a world where there are handshake deals on golf courses anymore. That's not how things are purchased. You have to have someone that can actually go in and know what they're talking about and sell the product and instill confidence to a customer base. If the person making the presentation keeps saying, um, 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 or like, 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 and looks like a deer in headlights while chewing gum, send them back to high school. I'm going to end that rant, but it needed to be said. So to reemphasize my point, a software company with an excellent sales team would be a major benefit to Google, and it's something that they should target. So to sum it all up, there could be a major change as a result of a woman you may have never heard of leaving a major company. It's important to understand and track these decisions and events within these corporations, even if they seem unimportant or uneventful, especially to the common person or the average listener. So I appreciate you going down the rabbit hole with me on this one. I know it was a little deep, but I hope you're better off for it. And I hope you're paying attention to what Google does next, because something major is about to happen, because it has to. And I really want to see if they snatch Red Hat right out of the mouths of IBM. I don't know if I'm going to do another podcast between now and the end of the year. So if this is my last one, I do want to say thank you for supporting this podcast this year. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. And there's more to come. And that's all we have for this week. You can find Sourcecast on iTunes, Google Music, and all of your favorite podcasting applications. Sourcecast is recorded in Bucolic, Mandalay, New Jersey. And it's produced by my dad. The outro is performed by me, Ben Lombardi. And music is provided by Patrick Lee. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week.